what a fitting chorus to sing before tonight's message. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles. If you have one, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we're continuing to look at End Times Survival Guide, we are in the end times. Now that should not surprise us because Paul said that he was living in the end times, the last of days. Well, I believe that we're in the last of the last days. And um, I believe we're going to see things happening that show us that it's not going to be long. Just like seeing a, 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 a work site where they're putting up a building, the building may not be completed yet, but you see all sorts of evidence that there's going to be a building there. Perhaps they've dug the hole. See all sorts of dust in the air. There's evidence of what's going on. We see evidence today that something is happening. There is a new spirit, and we're sensing that spirit. And that spirit is not a spirit of Christ. 1 Timothy 4, let me read first three verses of 1 Timothy 4. Now the spirit speaketh expressly. The latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Tonight, watching the end times apostasy unfold. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Sweet time we had this morning worshiping you. And I pray, Lord, that this evening, once again, you will be praised and worshiped. I trust, Lord, that you'll meet with us. You'll work in our hearts and lives. And, Lord, as we watch the apostasy that's going on in the world today, challenge us. Help us, we who put our faith and trust in you, to be salty Christians. Help us to have an influence upon those around us, pointing them to you. Meet with us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly. Express, he doesn't mince words. That in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. The word depart here means to remove, to revolt, to desert, to draw away or withdraw from. It is a society like ours, that collectively for many, many years pretty much believed in the same Christian truths. Pretty much the average person in the street believed in a literal six-day creation. Now, perhaps for some of you younger ones, that sounds bizarre, but that's the world that I grew up in. We believed in Noah's flood, that it was a reality, not a myth. I actually believe that David killed a giant. But not today. There has been an apostasy, a falling away from biblical truth. And if it's in the Bible, pretty much you could be guaranteed that the people out there in the world don't agree with it. They don't believe it. On October 8, 1944, 24-year-old Eddie Slovic informed his company commander that he was too scared to serve in a front-line rifle company, and he asked to be reassigned to a unit in the rear area. The next day, October 9, Slovic deserted his unit. 
Slovak was taken into custody and fined to the division's stockade. The division's judge advocate offered Slovak a third and final opportunity to rejoin his unit in exchange for the charges against him being dropped. He also offered to transfer Slovak to a different infantry regiment in the division where no one would know of his past and he could start with a clean slate. Slovak, still convinced that he would face only jail time and decline, jail time, declined these offers, saying, I've made up my mind, I'll take my court-martial. Twelve hand-picked soldiers from the 109th Regiment were detailed for the firing squad. The weapons used were standard-issue M1 rifles. Eleven of them loaded with just one round and one rifle loaded with a blank round. On the command, Slovak was hit by 11 bullets, at least four of them being fatal. According to the Internet, desertion during a time of war can still be considered a capital offense. We know how the world feels about desertion. In a time of fighting, in a time where you depend upon your fellow brothers, you need to know they're going to be there. And if they're not, and they desert, for whatever reason, we're told here that it is a capital offense. We're seeing long-held beliefs deserted. Like all races are equal. Since the 60s, there's been a concerted effort to wipe out ethnic discrimination. We were taught in school that all colors are equal before God. We sang, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know, God punished Moses and Miriam for criticizing Moses for marrying an Ethiopian. Her skin was probably very dark. God requires his children to love others as he did. Yes, slavery was a horribly wicked blight. Many suffered at the hands of evil, godless men who treated their slaves worse than animals. Those who committed such evils would, and many already have, face the judgment of God. But for those who today are holding on to wounds from the abuse of slavery, it's time to follow Christ's admonition and forgive. Demanding reparations ignores Christ's command to forgive and of turning the other cheek. Slavery was not unique to the blacks. Many cultures have enslaved other people groups, including the Jews. But in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. God loved the world. God loves the world. Every ethnic group, God loves the world. All the world, every person, every nation, every tribe. Today, 
there is not the same concerted belief that police departments are needed. Defund the police is a slogan that supports removing funds from police departments and reallocating them to non-policing forms of public safety and community support such as social services, youth services, housing, education, health care, and other community resources. Karl Marx wrote, the police, the judiciary, and the administration are not the representatives of a civil society which administers its own universal interests in them and through them. They are the representatives of the state, and their task is to administer the state against civil society. To proponents, the police are the enforcers of capitalism, and their purpose is not to protect people but property. This is obvious from the Black Lives Matter protests sweeping America. The police have attempted to focus the public's attention on a small amount of looting, while their officers are using weapons of war against peaceful protesters. In the classless society envisioned in the Communist Manifesto, there would be no need or desire for a police force. Thus, were the authors alive today, they would join Black Lives Matter in calling for the abolition of the police. It's interesting to me that God ordained authorities. In Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. There is a movement of lawlessness. A concerted effort to do away with those authorities, like the police. Why? Because God ordained them, that's why. And anything that God does, the world does not want. There was a day when the average person believed that boys are boys and girls are girls. I found this interesting that in the Encyclopedia Britannica of 2022, it writes, Essentialists, and just so you know, these are considered non-scientific, out-of-touch people, like you and me. Essentialists argue that gender identity is determined at birth by bi biological and genetic factors, while social constructivists, these are the truly intelligent and discerning ones, argue that gender identity and the way it is expressed are socially constructed, instead determined by cultural and social influences. According to psychologists, no objective measurement or imaging of the human body exists for gender identity, as, as it is part of one's subjective experience. Numerous instruments for assessing gender identity as a clinical measure exist 
including questionnaire-based, interview-based, and task-based assessments. These have varying effect sizes among a number of specific subpopulations. What they're trying to say is they know longer how to determine if it's a boy or a girl. God knows. In Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Here's the real problem. The devil wants to destroy anything connected to God. God designed man and woman. The devil wants to confuse all that God did. We, in a group like this, we're not surprised that the world is so wacko. For those of you my age or thereabouts, it's hard for us to conceive of how crazy the thoughts are out there. And so, so I'm, not, I'm not that surprised, concerned, if you will, about that. What I'm concerned about is what's going on here. Because little faith can lead to a desertion of the faith. Little faith can lead to faith deserters, if you will. What causes faith deserters? Well, Matthew 6, 30 and 31, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? But how many times have the cares of finances become so overwhelming that we begin to question God? God. Oh, we know up here, we know, but when the rubber meets the road and life hits and you're looking at tomorrow and you don't have enough money for the basic needs for tomorrow, you say, God, what's the deal? What's the deal? It's like God is saying, just, just take a few steps outside and look up and look at the birds. Try to find one bird that I'm not caring for. Just, just one. Find, find a bird that I'm not providing for. Are you not much better than the birds that are flying around out there? Yeah, Lord, I know that you're taking care of the birds. I mean, after they eat bird seed. They eat grass. There's plenty of grass. That's the point. There's plenty of it. But, Lord, look at my checkbook. Look at the pantry. And God says, you've got little faith. Trust me. Trust me. Have you gone without eating yet? Well, no, no, Lord, but it could happen. <laughs> Worry over finances can lead to deserting the faith. In Matthew 8, verse 24 and following, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. 
But he, Jesus, was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But Lord, whoa, we're going up and down and up and down. We're going to crash. We're going to drown. Lord, help us. Storms of life. It seems like about the time one wave hits you, you turn around to catch your breath and smack in the face of another one. It's just one after another. And the disciples cried out, Lord, help us. And he says, you got little faith. you got little faith. As if to say, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the worlds into existence in six days, let it be so, happens to be sleeping in the lower bunk. You suppose if there's really a problem, you couldn't say, hey, by the way, uh, uh, Lord, little faith. We're going to drown. What are you talking about? You're going to drown. I'm here. And as if to say, what do you mean the storms of life are going to put you under? I'm here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am here for you. That does not mean I'm not going to allow you to go through some storms in life because that's my plan for you to build a stronger faith in you. But I'll never leave you. Don't desert the faith. Don't leave me. Don't go for periods on end where you don't communicate with me because you have gotten hurt thinking I left you. Little faith can lead to deserting the faith. After a person believes God is leading them and they take, they take a step of faith, they don't see it clearly, but they believe that God is leading them, so they take a step of faith and wouldn't you know it, it seems like as soon as they do, the whole earth opens up and swallows them. So many problems and trials. In Matthew 14, 29, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, <laughs> why? Because Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, if it be thee, bid me come to, the come to you on the water. And sure enough, Peter stepped out of the boat and he got on the water and he took a few steps on the water. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Almost inevitably, when we take a few steps of faith, believing God is leading us, and we take a few steps, we're going to be slapped in the face with a wave. It's going to happen. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you say to do. I'm going to... I'm going to go to Bible college, or I'm going to witness to this person, or I'm going to, to read my Bible more, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be more faithful at church, whatever it happens to be, and out of the blue, you get sick. You, get, you have a car accident. Something happens. Lord, what's the deal? I, I told you I was going to step out in faith. I, I, I took a step, and this is what happened. He said, that's right, I'm testing your faith. I want to find out, do you really mean it? Do you, do you really mean it? Unexpected trials after stepping out of faith in obedience. In verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? 
little faith can lead to deserting the faith. Sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. Have you got God all figured out? About the time I think I know God, <laughs> he changes. Now, I know he doesn't change, but he does something totally unexpected. In Matthew 16, 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, which is dangerous. They shouldn't have done that. Jesus told them something. They walked away from Jesus, and they started talking among themselves. Instead of talking to Jesus. And they said, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets he took up? They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't, they didn't conceive of it. He asked them to do something, he talked, and they, then they reasoned among themselves instead of simply trusting him. Sometimes we fail to understand what God is doing. Little faith causes some to desert from the faith. The next verse, in verse number 2 of our text, 1 Timothy 4, it says, um, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now let's not forget the time frame in which we're talking here. It's in the latter times. And I believe the farther we get in the latter times, the more we're going to see some departing from the faith. More people that are leaving, saying, I just don't believe anymore. We're also going to see more of this in verse number 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, deserting the faith leads to shameless and guilt-free lying. You ever hear somebody say, oh, I can tell if somebody's lying. I can sure tell. I can't. I've learned that I can't. And apparently most of the apostles couldn't either. Because they didn't know that Judas was lying. They convinced him that he was telling the truth. In Romans 1, 28, 29, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so they were filled with deceit. When God was removed from their knowledge, they were filled instead with deceit. Why? Because you remove one God, Jehovah God, and the other God is happy to fill the place. The devil, who is the father of lies. Because they didn't want God, he gave them what they wanted. They didn't want God in their minds, so God stepped back and said, okay. And in his place, their minds were filled with deceit. In Ephesians 4, 17 and following, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated 
from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. They're past feeling. They don't feel any guilt. They don't feel anything over it at all. But they are alienated from the life of God, meaning they have no relationship with God. They don't walk with God on a daily basis. They don't commune with Him. They don't pray to Him. They don't read the Word. They don't expect to hear from Him. They are alienated from Him. And as such, they've lost all feeling. They don't feel guilty. They've lost all feeling. They have no relationship with God. This reminds me of the tragedy I see in some Bible college and seminary students who excel at Bible knowledge. And oh, they can wrap circles around me in their Bible knowledge while having no relationship with the God who wrote the Bible. They know it, but they're ignorant of it. So is the devil. He knows it, but he's ignorant of it. Deserting the faith leads to shameless and guilt-free lying. They're convinced of their way. In Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Once they're convinced their way is right, they will defend it with whatever means they can, including lying. And they appear perfectly fine to themselves. Proverbs 30 and verse 12, there's a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. We're witnessing an attack on our nation from young adults who call this country their home. They have been indoctrinated that our country is inherently evil and needs to be disassembled and recreated in the likeness of their socialistic mentors. Socialism and communism have become interwoven into the fabric of most of our institutions. Within those ideologies, lying is well accepted for the benefit of their cause. From a textbook of Marxist philosophy, in most branches of scientific knowledge, natural science, history, philosophy, philology, psychology, there's no room for the metaphysical conception of absolute truth. There's no room for absolute truth, says Marx. The more scientific knowledge develops, the more obvious to everyone is the worthlessness of all claims to the attainment of absolute scientific truth at whatever stage. You can't say there is a God. You can't say that's morally right or wrong. You can't say that because there are no absolutes, according to Marx. Truth, therefore, is what I choose to believe, and it can differ from your truth. My truth can be different from your truth, they say. And maybe I could go along with that if it weren't for the fact that Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You don't mess with truth. It's either truth or not truth. There is an absolute truth, and it's found in Jesus Christ. You don't change it. It's unchangeable, undeniable. And no wonder the devil's attacking. Verse number 3 in 1 Timothy 4. Signs of the end times in the latter days, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which... God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Forgetting or forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. These are outward lifestyle practices that can easily be watched by others and evaluated. This mentality is setting exterior benchmarks to determine someone else's spirituality. I know you're spiritual because you do this and this and this and this. I know you're spiritual because you did all these things. Outwardly, you did these things, therefore you're spiritual. You check boxes, so you're spiritual. I know that a person is not right with God because I saw them eat a steak at a restaurant, one might say. The Pharisees prided themselves on how they looked their pompous robes, the jewelry they wore, their phylacteries. They were committed to looking the part. And the outward facade was their expression of spirituality. A man named Saul proved the folly of judging the outside only. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. These Pharisees, oh, they look good. There wasn't a mustard stain anywhere on their, on their robes. Oh, they look good. They were so well-pressed. They knew how to walk. They knew how to carry themselves. They knew how to speak in public. They demanded authority wherever they went. But Jesus said their hearts were black as night. Wise decisions can only be made by considering what's on the inside. John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Look beyond what you can see and make righteous Determinations. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. The Pharisees were clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. Matthew 23, 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. He teaches us that real beautification happens on the inside. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, Who is adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plating the hair, of wearing gold, or putting on of apparel, but 
Let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There's just something special about a good heart. Someone that just has this incredible good heart. You can overlook a whole lot of ugly on the outside with a good heart. Years. A fellow back in Illinois was a bus captain. Years. All the years I knew him till the very last was a bus captain. He's <laughs> a big man. He was a bachelor for most of his life. And he had big old pockets. They're always just full and brimming over with candy. They called him the candy man. <laughs> Arthritis had ravished his body, and he could, he could barely walk. Barely, barely walk. It hurt. He'd sit in the back of church, and the kids would flock around him. A year before he died, he started experiencing some incontinence problems. Sometimes his pants would get soaked, and because his neuropathy was so bad, he never even knew it. He was oblivious to the smell. He'd come on our little, come into our little Sunday school classroom, and immediately that smell would overtake the room. Sometimes it'd bring tears to your eyes. It was so bad. His last days were not very beautiful on the outside. But he was one of the most beautiful people I've ever known. And when he stepped into glory, he received one of the most incredible welcomes that ever happened in heaven. Stepping away or departing from the faith happens as we willfully ignore God's opinion. In chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What's God say about it? What's God feel about it? What's God's opinion of this matter? In Genesis 1:31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. How did God feel about creation? Whoa, it's good. Look at what I made. It's good. In Romans 14, 14, I know, Paul said, and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Romans 14, 20, for meat Destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So, willfully ignoring God's opinion and making their own guidelines. Here's the thought. There were those refusing to eat certain foods, claiming them to be spiritually hazardous. Of course, the Jewish... Uh, dietary laws were very, very strict. They couldn't eat pork. Can you imagine a life of no bacon? Can you imagine that? Can't imagine. No ham steaks. Whew. 
So when Jesus came along, and, and Jesus offered a better way, a New Testament, no longer were those that put their faith and trust in Jesus became Christians. No longer were they subject to those Jewish dietary laws. But there were many of the Jews going through that transitional time that just could not shake off the thought that they had to stay under them and their salvation in their minds were, was linked to their works, to their subjection to the laws. They were making their own guidelines while ignoring the desires of God. Now, we can see it clearly in the life of the Jew. We can see that, looking at what they did. How crazy, how crazy for them to ignore what Jesus did, and yet isn't that what we do on a regular basis when we ignore what he says about a particular thing and we go our own way because it seems right to us? God is now banned from public venues. Not welcome. You can see a, a picture of God with a, a circle and a cross through it. No God welcome here. Society today has completely ignored God. They allow no influence of His in their decision making. You can't go to court and say, well, here's what the Bible says. They laugh you out of court. It's not permissible in the courtroom. He's not allowed in schools, in the courts, in Congress. Instead, is replaced with the God of this age, the devil, who is very happy to replace God. Lastly, it's bad when the world bans God from their lives. But it's such a sad commentary when Christians ban him from their lives? How many Christians leave their Bibles tightly closed from Sunday to Sunday? How many make financial decisions without uttering even a passing prayer to God for wisdom? How many watch months go by without closing their eyes in prayer except at perhaps at church or at the dinner table. How is their life any different than the world's? They've banned God. On Saturday morning, not long after I'd been a pastor here, one of our men at prayer time confessed that he had not been having daily devotions. Shortly after his confession, another man admitted the same thing, and then another, and then another. We basically went around the room with confessions of men saying they were not having daily devotions. Well, I have been so blessed by testimonies of these same men who are now praising God for renewed faithfulness. But it's way too easy to willfully ignore God in our lives. So here's the admonition in one verse, and I'm done. Chapter 4 and verse 16. First of all, take heed unto thyself. Take heed unto thyself. In the latter times, right before the Lord's return, understand there's going to be a lot of departures, there's going to be an apostasy, there's going to be liars, 
There's going to be a banning of God in both the world and in believers' lives. So what do we do about it? Take heed to thyself. An honest evaluation before God. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. On a regular basis, God, look at me. Look, open my heart right now and look. Is there anything displeasing to you? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Take heed to the doctrine. This is God's word, the teaching of God's word. Study the word. Read God's word. Make it part of your life. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, David said. And then continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So how do we save ourselves? In the end times, right before the Lord return, how do we get through it? How do we get through this horrible time? Continue. Continue by taking heed to thyself and heed to the doctrine. Don't quit. It, 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 it's got to happen soon. It's got to happen soon. It's, the trumpet's got to happen soon. He's got to be warming that mouthpiece up even as we speak. But if he's not, continue. Continue. Don't quit. Don't quit. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your goodness. Thank you for this admonition this evening that we need to just, on a regular basis, take heed to ourselves and see where we're at spiritually and not assume that we're okay with you. Not assume because things seem to be going all right that everything is all right between you and us. Lord, help us to evaluate. Help us to stay true to your word. Be faithfully reading and studying it. Lord, help us not to quit. Lord, as the events of the world unravel and the chaos ensues. Help us to keep our eyes focused upon you. And Lord, I pray that we might fulfill the plan that you have for us and we'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.